Hi everybody, Mike Hancock here, and our very special guest today is Masami Sato. Um, if I ever thought of somebody who I knew who had the potential to win the Nobel Prize, this lady is it, in, although she's extremely humble. But I remember right back, uh, the year was 2007, the venue was the Duxton Hotel in Perth and Western Australia, where Masami and her, her partner, Paul, floated by a number of us this concept that they had for buy one, give one. And it's a, it's a concept at the time we all really loved. And, you know, they launched it. And like all things, it starts from humble beginnings. And these days, I think the number is 219 million gifts of giving that they've inspired around the world um, in the last 13 years. They've done some extraordinary things. And Masami, welcome today. Um, and we're really looking forward to hearing everything that you've got to say. So we'll give you a big virtual round of applause. Yay for Masami, and it's over to you. <laughs> Hi, hey everyone. Um, really great to, to connect with you here. Um, so Mike gave me really lovely um, introduction. Uh, but the, um, over the next, uh, um, let's say, Mike, about um, 20 minutes, half an hour or so. Um, I'm, Sounds great. Is that correct? <laughs> Just checking. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing my journey and what led to the formation of the initiative that I work on today. But um, also today is really about you, because this year, I believe that we have all experienced some extraordinary time and uh, change and some of those things that we faced were very challenging. But, you know, um, I think you being here today indicate that uh, you are here for a reason and you've you know, overcome many of the challenges to be here today, to be able to uh, spend the time you know, coming together, learning and thinking about how you can grow your impact uh, that you have in the world. So let me share um, my screen so that I can, hold on, uh, hopefully. Am I? Hold on. Yes, we can, can see you... your screen, Masami. Perfect. Oh, hold on. Uh, there is a little bit of issue. Just let me, let me just uh, get back to this. Um, hold on. Uh... I love the fact that out of all of the things that Zoom's <laughs> done for us, I don't think they've. I don't think they've actually. Solve screen sharing very well at all, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> but uh... well, well, actually, um, you will soon discover um, that uh, for, you know, for me, speaking is uh, quite like extraordinary thing to do, um, considering my background, and that's part of the reason why I'm looking forward to sharing um, what I'm about to share. So. Um, here I'm talking about actually purpose, like, you know, when we were interacting with people and connecting with each other, um, how is it that we can all focus on, you know, speaking on purpose so that that would lead to a great impact in the world. And just a quick introduction about me. So uh, I founded the B1J1 and Mike mentioned a little bit that he knows uh, me from the beginning of my journey and which, which is actually 13 years ago, that's a long time ago. And actually in the kind of like a, 
speaking space or a coaching or a, a consulting space, my partner, Paul Dan, is a lot more famous. So um, some of the people Mike is connected with probably have seen Paul speak, but you know, they may not have seen me talk about the B1G1. So this is a quite a, a rare opportunity that Mike has given to me. So this is B1G1's um, website uh, today. And uh, um, so first of all, um, yeah, I, we have uh, two initiatives that today that we, we have. One is B1G1 and another one is called the Speaker for Good. And so with the Speakers for Good, um, I also represent the different type of you know, speakers around the world who are part of this initiative. And every time they uh, speak, they also create a great impact. So every business or every profession can become a force for good. And I'm just really glad that uh, today uh, I get to connect with you. So now the story is this. When we um, look around our world, we see the picture like this. It's an uh, amazing place that we are in. And uh, um, in this big world we are like this tiny little dot i don't know if you can see that tiny little dot so i just make it a little bit bigger <laughs> so that's the dot we are uh, in this big world you now looking around and thinking about where we are heading so when we um uh, reflect on our life and what we do um and we realize that this is very similar to a journey that we take you know a travel like when we travel, uh, we may have a destination. Oh my gosh, just a, hold on a moment, just quickly. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> what happened was monkey just jumped into, into our living room. <laughs> Can you That's believe? Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> That's the beauty of living in Singapore. Standing. Oh my gosh. I, 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 could have shown them to you, but um, I'm, you know, I don't know whether you are, where you are, you are working from home or not, but uh, I work from home um, right now in Singapore and we live uh, across this beautiful reservoir and uh, there are some monkeys, but they, today is the first time they just stepped into this room. So they probably, obviously, you know, they wanted to meet with you. <laughs> Because I was just shocked. So back to the story. <laughs> oh my God. Back to the story. So, you know, we think it's quite often about the destination, you know, where we are heading. That's the purpose of our journey. But what we realize is that um, as we go through this journey and things happening in our life, in our business, then when we look back, quite often what we realize that it's not so much as the destination which we are heading that matters the most, but it's the discovery that we have along the way that gives us new perspectives. And um, so today we're going to talk about these new perspectives about um, the way we see our world as well as, as well as the way we see our own journey. So. Um, to get there, let me start with my own beginning <laughs> and a little, little humble, tiny beginning. Um, so this is me and my sister sitting in front of a shop 
that my grandparents owned. And growing up, I grew up with this business and helping my grandparents run their own small family business in Tokyo. And I learned so much just by being in a business environment as a young little girl. And also because I was very shy uh, and uh, you know, quiet child. So for me, um, this being in the business with my grandparents gave me the opportunity to learn so much more. And uh, but um, I felt very small in my own little world too. So, for example, in Tokyo, you know, back then, it was still quite rare to see foreigners. Today, there are lots of foreigners coming to travel in Japan. But when I was growing up, it wasn't so common to see, you know, foreigners walking on the street, in, even in Tokyo. So if they would come into our shop <laughs> accidentally, I would usually run into the back of the shop screaming like gaijin, gaijin. And gaijin, the word gaijin means outsider, but it means also foreigner. So in Japan, people call foreigners gaijin, outsiders, because they uh, kind of have a perception that they are from outside and we are totally different from each other. Right. So that was kind of my world. But being in the business environment, I uh, one thing I had was the curiosity. So I didn't know how to speak in front of people. And I was very shy and introvert. Um, but with the curiosity I had when I um, graduated from school and I had the freedom to explore the world, I decided to travel. So I went uh, traveling around the world. So that's kind of me, little tiny dot, me. <laughs> so um, when I was backpacking and traveling around the world and uh, this time, you know, even though I was shy, but I lost something that I actually had, which was the language. Um, so I couldn't speak English when I left Japan um, at first. So uh, even you know, being a quiet child for not to have any words to really explain you know, my thoughts or my feeling, that was uh, initially very scary and challenging. But at the same time, I realized that losing my language or the kind of voice was the best thing that happened to me because in a very, very simple way, I really started to connect with people for the first time because I was no longer worried about saying the right thing or saying smart things. You know, I could only express myself with gestures and uh, facial expressions or sharing experience and food together. So that was kind of the most uh, liberating time of my life. Uh, to really connect with people without having set expectations. Um, and I enjoyed it so much because wherever I went, I always met some extraordinary kind individuals who came to help me. And I also started to realize that even though we looked very different, we came from different background, we had, you know, came from different culture, but still there were a lot we could share. And then I started to believe that maybe uh, we were all very similar, you know, or maybe we are all the same because we all cared about our family, friends, our communities, um, the things we were doing. So um, I started to see so much in common with the people um, everywhere. And then at the same time, I also started to feel quite overwhelmed because um, when I was traveling to places like Central America, spending time with people there, or when I was in India or Nepal backpacking, I started to see um, quite confronting pictures as well. And so 
the, those were the pictures of challenges and problems that people faced, you know, children uh, not being able to go to school uh, because they had to work or um, people with disability who didn't have any help from the local government or the environmental pollutions that were affecting the health of people. And they had nothing, you know, there was nothing they could do or people don't have access to food or water or... So facing those issues, um, I was very overwhelmed because I thought if these same things were happening in my own neighborhood or community, then surely somebody would something to help. They wouldn't leave the kids, you know, begging on the street so um, I didn't know, like I felt really like that tiny little dot who was overwhelmed by what was going on in the world. And I didn't have the answer to my questions. So anyway, um, after actually experiencing uh, those things and you know, uh, seeing these big numbers like 790 million people still lack access to clean water or 264 million children have no access to formal education or 294 million people do not have, have access to electric, electricity. Or, you know, every year, 3.5 to 7 billion trees are being cut down. And we are not, we are just keep losing the, the, the forest coverage in the world. And, and, and if we look at these big numbers without having the answer to those big numbers, then we could of course get overwhelmed and then we might give up and we might go, okay, like somebody need to fix this, but it's not me. <laughs> and it's easy to do that as well. So when I reflected on uh, those big issues. And then when I also went back to, after you know, traveling uh, multiple years, when I went back to my own country and looked around the big city and seeing that everybody being busy doing what they were doing, but I started to feel like a little bit kind of disconnected from what was going on. And then I thought, okay, um, I can't fix the problems in the world. <laughs> and, but I also didn't want to create more problems in the world. So I thought at that time, being a very simplistic person, I thought if I stopped buying things, maybe I create less harm. So what I did was to move to a countryside in Japan. And then I decided to live with farmers so that I could learn to grow um, the food I eat or you know, make things that I need to use in my own life. <laughs> so that's what I did. So about two years <clears throat> in my uh, youth, Actually, I managed to spend uh, the time with local farmers who are running traditional way of farming and living. And then I thought if I could learn how to create a self-sustainable life, then at least I could say I uh, damage, create less damage to the world. So that's what I did. Um, now, uh, after that you know, two years, uh, I learned a lot. And then there was one most important thing I learned. And the important thing I learned was that I was actually wrong. I was actually wrong to think that I could create a self-sufficient life. And I was also wrong to judge the world about of what was happening. Because what I realized was that throughout the time I was in the countryside, um, I learned 
to connect. I learned to be part of the kind of nature and the environment and the people in the community and help each other to create the real sustainability in, at where we are. And um, so throughout that time, um, I learned a lot of important, useful learning, which some of which I still apply to my business uh, every day. And today I want to introduce you to this idea of cycles of creation. Um, so in the natural environment, and when you, know, you try to understand how farmers, people like farmers create uh, sustainability or abundance uh, through what they are doing, then we learn quite a lot from them. Um, so I discovered that there are different approaches to doing this. And um, you can kind of think about what happens in the business environment as well as we go through these two cycles. So they're, they're, they're one of the cycles, and both are possible cycles, but one of them starts with the kind of uh, beginning where we identify something we need to get. And then next step is for us to try to get that. So we probably have a different strategy to try to get what we want. And then we will go and then get it. Then as a result of obtaining which we wanted, what tends to happen is this. And it's whether it's like something that we thought was valuable to gain, it eventually becomes something that's not so valuable <laughs> then we or it could be that you lose the interest in something that you wanted and then continuously go through this dynamic of okay now we don't have enough so let's go get something and then we try to get it and as a result we kind of experience a certain form of loss and then another there's another cycle luckily and another cycle starts with the concept of or realization or understanding of having so we recognize something that we have, and then we find a way to actually give and share or contribute to what we have. And then as a result, we receive uh, the, you know, more of the gift that we, we want to have. And um, so these cycles, there are underlying kind of patterns or feelings. So the first cycle has a kind of deficient cycle where underlying feeling in that cycle is always like, uh, there's never enough, <laughs> so we need to get more. And then the second cycle uh, has an underlying feeling or kind of perception of sufficiency. So what happened is, first of all, farmers always appreciate what they cultivate and the gift that they receive from the nature, and then they don't waste anything. So everything that they grow, everything that they harvest, or even the straws you know, uh, after harvesting the crops, they will put it back in the soil or find the ways to give more to the nature or the community or to each other. And then as a result, they would have a, a more abundance coming in and then feel grateful um, for the harvest that they receive. So it's not necessarily as straightforward as this, like there are lots of things that happen that disturbs our cycles. But at the same time, if we think about it, there are kind of broadly two different distinct types of cycles that you can create, then which cycles would you prefer to create more of in your life or in your business? And I think it's easy for most people to say, well, I'd like to have a more sufficiency and sufficient cycle where you know, people come together with the idea of uh, uh, contributing and giving the gift to each other and support each other. 
and as a result, we have a more abundance. But it's also easy to say, well, that world is operating in the getting cycle, like the deficient cycle. So I cannot change that. It's easy to say that too. But the interesting reality is that the, these cycles are actually created every day, everywhere. So when we have a company, and sometimes like the trust issue might become a big issue for businesses, um, especially sometimes like big corporations that the employees don't trust the company because they feel that the company is exploiting them. And then as a result, the company thinks employees are actually cheating them or slacking, them, <laughs> you know, all that. So actually the creation of cycles, these cycles are intentional. We can choose to create the giving cycle around us. And then when you do so, you win because you attract people who want to operate in the giving cycles as well. So um, this is a kind of one, you know, simpler models of creating abundance that I learned from, uh, you know, working with farmers in Japan. So with that new pair of eyes, we are going to start to look at some different set of numbers as well. So let me introduce you to some big numbers again. First of all, when we look at some of the global priorities and important issues that exist in the world, um, $22 billion is the amount of funding, annual additional funding that's required to make sure we provide access to basic education to children who are currently not getting access to primary school education in the world. $23 billion is the amount of annual additional funding that's required to make sure that the people have access to clean water. $30 billion is the amount of additional funding required to make sure that the, the children in you know, so-called developing countries who currently are malnourished. So if we are to give them basic nutrition, access to basic nutrition, it costs us $30 billion. So these are still big numbers, you know, much like the numbers we saw at the beginning. But let me now show you another set of numbers. So, these are the global industries, the figures in different industries. $168 billion is the annual funding coming into publishing industry. $1 trillion is the income coming into pharmaceutical, and it could be even bigger now. $856 billion is the annual funding uh, in fast food industry. And this doesn't include you know, all of the restaurant food and the groceries and the cafes. And so when we look at these numbers, it was a new pair of eyes, then we start to see because you know, the world has so many different businesses operating and doing what they do. So if we really think about the power that we already have, in our businesses, you know, the businesses in our world, then the big numbers that's required to, for us to collectively come together and solve some of the big issues in the world may not be so difficult now. And so it may not be about the lack of ability, but it may be about lack of connections. It's just that the, the meaningful and impactful connections are not formed in the world 
to channel our ability to make a difference with the actual um, impactful opportunities to make those things happen. Maybe they're, they're, this is a plumbing issue rather than the ability issue. So when we have this uh, you know, understanding of connection, then uh, we can start to actually reflect on uh, what this is all about in a new way. So in terms of connection, Actually, this uh, photo uh, is a, a photo of my daughter, Myra, who was born in New Zealand <laughs> nearly 20 years ago. And so that was kind of deep moment of connection for me. And if you re reflect on your own life, then you probably have these moments of connections which transformed how you think, how you feel, you know, uh, what you do and, and all that. So we all have these moments of connections. And for me, meeting her was a special moment of connection. And so what happened was, even though when I was traveling around the world as a back, young backpacker, I didn't know how to fix all those big problems, even though I cared about them. When I met my own daughter, everything kind of transformed uh, in my mind because it, those children I met when I was traveling were no longer about those children I, I couldn't do anything about. Because when I realized that the, for my own daughter, I would do anything. You know, if she she had difficulty, then I would do anything to provide everything for her to make sure she's safe and she has the opportunity in her life. But if I said that I cannot do anything about any other kids, then I didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. So at that time, when I um, had this overwhelming sense of connection, I thought that I would do something, even though I couldn't fix all of the problems in the big world, at least I, I, I would do something to help someone. <laughs> so that's when I decided to go into business. <laughs> and so having three months old baby on my back was probably not the best time to start a business, <laughs> but I did. And I felt that it was just the right time to do so. So uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand, I uh, started the very first business, which was basically to take over this struggling takeaway food bar <laughs> uh, because they wanted to get out of business. So they were selling the business for like not, almost nothing. <laughs> so we went into the business and then I worked really hard with the baby on my back to grow this business, improving the food and improving the services. And so within uh, six months, uh, after that, we started to see a huge, and this was industrial takeaway food bar, and we started to see like track jam in front of the road or uh, people queuing out of the shop during lunchtime. So uh, we saw this initial little success and then bought another uh, takeaway food place, which was an ice cream shop on the beach <laughs> to, to have uh, two businesses now. And uh, after that second business, and finally, we uh, decided to sell these two businesses and move to Australia because my desire and idea was that I wanted to start a food business that provided healthy eating option to busy working people so that the families can come together to enjoy the meal after a busy day. So to do this work on this concept, we sold the businesses in New Zealand and moved to Australia and then uh, got, uh, got a big commercial kitchen to start this 
another business. <laughs> and so what happened was after another like three, about three years of hard work. And uh, during that period, I had another son accidentally <laughs> and having two young kids and running this business. And we faced so many challenges and struggles during that time, but we kept going. Because whenever I faced you know, very difficult time, I always thought about these people I met when I was backpacking. And you know, there were extraordinary people out there who had almost nothing. You know, they had very little and they didn't have enough food to feed their own kids, but they invited me to uh, come and have a meal with them or stay with them and sharing their food. And I used to think like, oh my gosh, like you can't share your food with me because you cannot just even feed your own kids. And so I remembered those people. So whenever I had a difficulty, I didn't feel much of it because I, was, I still was healthy and everything I needed and healthy kids. And so we kept going. But then about the three years after I started this another you know, concept to business, which was starting to grow, I had a moment of realization because at that time, um, I had a frozen meal production business that was providing uh, packaged frozen meals to uh, more than like 150 stores in Australia in multiple states. But at that time, I was still telling myself that I was not ready you know, our business wasn't ready to do anything because we were putting all the money back into business. And we could always find excuses, like we were too busy. I was still working 16 hours a day, seven days a week at that time. So I thought, if I keep telling myself that I wasn't ready, then I would probably be telling myself the same story 10 or 20 years later, that I still wasn't ready, not successful enough. <laughs> so. That was the time um, I came up with the simple idea of B1G1. And, uh, you know, which was also the idea of buy one, give one. So instead of trying to do something big in the future, what if we just did something small every day? And so from that time, we decided that for every packet of meal that we sell, we just give one meal. And I realized that to do so with an experienced organization um, at that time in India uh, only cost like 25 cents. And I could do that. I could allocate that amount because that was just like one of the ingredients or you know, sticker on the package. And the moment we shift the thinking, then everything changes because you know, then uh, from then on, uh, giving and caring became part of our product everything that we did. So um, that was really transformative for me, but about seven months later, after that initial moment of realization, there was another moment where I started to think about all the amazing business people I met along my journey. Because you know, being an entrepreneur, I definitely connected with many uh, great other business people and uh, they were passionate about the different things and that's why they had the different kind of businesses but they all cared so i thought what if it was easy for any business to do this to embed giving in you know tangible giving in what they do and then continue to give uh, in the way that they believe in 
I happen to believe in you know, food and education for all children, but maybe there are business people who care about environment or uh, want to help people start businesses. Or So we all care about all sorts of different things and that's why we start different businesses. So I thought what if it became so easy for every business to make a difference. So imagine if every time you have a cup of coffee, a child receives access to life-saving water. Or imagine every time you purchase a piece of cloth that you love, you know, a girl in uh, at-risk girls in certain countries can receive access to education so that they don't actually get uh, trafficked, you know. Uh, or imagine if every time uh, a business provided the consulting service, they also provided income generating opportunity to women to start a business, imagine that. And these things are no longer imagination because in the B1G1 world, there are so many businesses uh, who are working with us, you know, that are working with us today and embedding giving in what they do. And together we are creating so many impacts. So uh, I showed this uh, website, the picture, up. Um, in the beginning, but today this is the B1J1 website. And then uh, basically how we make this happen is that we have more than today 500 projects listed in, listed in the B1J1 platform for businesses to choose from. And then fully 100% of what they give to those projects. Uh, and, and, and you get to give uh, any amount, like even one cent or one dollar can create a tangible impact and 100% of that goes to the project that they choose to support. And we uh, also encourage businesses to think about the embedding giving in what they do rather than just donating you know, and uh, writing a big check to uh, organization to actually thinking about how to embed giving in what they do every day. So those are the three things that we actually focus on. And, uh, uh, today we have more than two and a half thousand businesses working with us and uh, uh, making a great impact happen. And those impacts, uh, it, we have a more than 200 million giving impacts in B1G1, but those impacts are not just the big numbers because you know it's the number of trees being planted or uh, the meals given through the you know different school meal programs or. Uh, healthcare, number of days of access to healthcare being provided and so on. So each one of these 200 million, million giving impacts, we see it as a smile being created. Now, um, so today we also, uh, you know, think about how this community of small businesses can align with uh, big global goals as well. So we categorize the project that we list in B1G1 with different uh, sustainable development goals. Um, and then so that when businesses make those contributions, they know which goals that they are impacting uh, with their giving. So we had a lovely message from also Paul Pullman, who was part of creating this um, sustainable development goal uh, as well. And uh, if I could play this video, um, then you get to hear what he says about small businesses. Well, first I'd like to thank Masami and the uh, B1G1 movement for their enormous impact that you're having. 145 million 
acts of kindness already reached in this world, nearly 2,500 companies belonging to this. And your philosophy is 100% right. Business is there to serve society. If we cannot find what our purpose is and positively impact society, we frankly have no reason for being. You capture that very well in the B1G1 movement. We have a wonderful opportunity right now in this world with the Sustainable Development Goals. 17 goals with a simple objective to irreversibly eradicate poverty and do that in a more sustainable and equitable way. And frankly, that agenda cannot be achieved without the private sector or the business community. If every business would see how they can contribute to the Sustainable Development Goals, they will have a true purpose and a true reason for being. We see increasingly that the businesses are discovering the opportunities of the Sustainable Development Goals. Just looking at very simple areas of food and land use, at cities, mobility and health and well-being, we think it unlocks about a $12 trillion opportunity, can create up to 380 million jobs and yes, it will come from the small and medium-sized enterprises. I'm fortunate to be the CEO of Unilever, but in our value chain we have 80 to 100,000 small and medium-sized enterprises. And we certainly all want them to be driven by purpose. If and when they do, it unlocks an enormous energy, it attracts the talent, it makes people engaged at work, it cuts costs, it drives opportunities and ultimately the long-term success of your businesses. I thank you for what you're doing and I wish you a lot of success on your journey. Thank you very much. So that's kind of message from somebody who is really at the top uh, of uh, kind of like a you know, global business uh, landscape for small businesses. And what he says is the belief in this power of small um, that individually what we are doing seems to be small but collectively, we really do have the power to make an impact. And we see, uh, I see this as, you know, um, uh, the concept of, uh, for example, honeybees pollinating the flowers around the world because they are small, you know, tiny little dots. But they have amazing power because if honeybees disappear in the world today, then large proportion of our food supply will be actually diminished. So. There is that power. The businesses are like those tiny little bees pollinating our flowers every day. But when we became sophisticated and smart over the years, what we learned was uh, how to extract more without actually doing simple things like pollinating and giving back. So um, I believe that the businesses realizing that you know position in the world can. Uh, transform what's happening. And this is one of my uh, heroes, David Attenborough. And, and I'm not sure if you watched this uh, documentary program called Life on Our Planet. Have you seen, like if anybody's seen this? Yeah, uh, there are some nodding. Yeah, so and I, I extracted, it. oh, <laughs> great. I extracted just one thing he said. So let's just listen what he said. There are many differences between humans and the rest of the species on Earth. But one that has been expressed is that we alone are able to imagine the future. For a long time, I and perhaps you have dreaded that future. But it's now becoming apparent that it's not all doom and gloom. There's a chance for us to make amends, to complete our journey of development, 
manage our impact and once again become a species in balance with nature. All we need is the will to do so. We now have the opportunity to create the perfect home for ourselves and restore the rich, healthy and wonderful world that we inherited. Just imagine that. So he said, just imagine that. And so years ago, we started B1J1, imagining a world where everything businesses do can make a difference. And today we have uh, two and you know, 2,700 businesses. And if we think about the you know, businesses out there, um, there are millions of businesses. So I would say we are still just at the beginning, but we still today imagine a world where all of us, including businesses and individuals can come together to pollinate the flowers in the world. Um, and it is encouraging that the more and more uh, people come to us resonating with this idea as well. So back to the picture of a big, beautiful world out there. And the fact that we are still that tiny little dot remains the same. We haven't grown <laughs> to be a big dot <laughs> yet individually, but imagine like if this tiny little dot managed to just inspire one more person, you know, your team members, your customers, your clients, your family members, people in your neighborhood, your friends. And if we all worked together to spread the idea that it is us like collectively having the responsibility and also the power to transform our world together, then what kind of world can we create? Back to the idea of you know, the real voyage of discovery and having a new set of eyes, because just by having a new set of eyes, we start to see what we actually can do rather than what we cannot change. So those pictures that we saw earlier um, when I started, these pictures also start to look different because these are no longer pictures of big problems that we cannot do anything about. But these are now the pictures of opportunities that we could do something about. So imagine if we worked together to transform these every picture, everything we recognize and see into an opportunity for us to come together and make a difference, then we really can create a world full of giving every second, every day, and in every way as well. So thank you so much for giving me your very precious time uh, listening to, to my story. And I hope that um, you kind of reflect on your own journey and think about why you are here and what you can do and if you feel that uh, it, it, uh, you, know, you are inspired and want to connect with me, then please do so and reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn or elsewhere and also come and visit our website as well. So thank you, Mike, for the uh, lovely invitation to come and then share uh, with your community <laughs> today. Masami, it's, it's been fantastic. And thank you so much for, for, for sharing. And, and uh, folks, before we get into a couple of questions, because I know you'll have questions, firstly, the website is b1g1.com, so you can go and check that out. Um, I still remember having some of your food, um, some of the frozen food that you, you did. In fact, I think I survived on it for several days. 
Um, that might have been even back in 2006. It was very good, I have to say. Yeah. And uh, congratulations <laughs> on, on everything you're doing. And I find it fascinating that a monkey ran into your apartment. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> it was a bit messy at the beginning. <laughs> oh, I know they can be. I said I was saying to Landy, who's who's sort of just off to off to my left at the time, a monkey just ran into Masami's apartment, and she said, "Oh, the monkey! The monkey is essentially the um, the Joker. It's it's the person who wears the mask, who laughs a lot, but is actually really highly intelligent." And I said, "Oh, it's perfect for Masami, right? So you know, you change the world, but you've still got the humbleness and and." and the fun side to you as well. So I think it's a, a perfect totem to run on there. Um, Paul from the Netherlands asked you, how, how's best to support B1G1? How can we start to support B1G1 is his exact question. So maybe you'd like to tell people how B1G1 works because um, everything that gets contributed goes 100% to the causes. And I think you've done that ever mm. since day one. So it's not like a traditional charity or anything like that. So how does it actually work and how can people get involved? <laughs> in Good question. Good question. I, I forgot to mention that important part being overwhelmed by the monkey's appearance. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I said that B1J1, you know, make sure 100% of uh, all the businesses giving go to the project rather than taking percentage of donation which is kind of like a conventional model in any fundraising type initiative so what we did from the beginning was very clear that we were here to add value to businesses and help them create meaningful giving activities and track the impacts or share that with their team or you know community or so we provide all sort of opportunities and resources to the businesses that we work with and then at the same time, businesses actually join us as B1J1 members. So um, depending on the company size, it's tiny businesses, because we want to make sure that tiny businesses can still do this, like rather than saying one day when we become successful. So tiny businesses might join like for dollar a day as the membership portion to, to B1J1. And then the um, uh, contributions coming from all the businesses are used to uh, develop and grow and then do all the administrations of course of the giving in the B1J1 initiative but once businesses are member of B1J1 then um, fully 100% of all of the giving they would do will be sent to the Wadi causes and then also we even top up the bank charges so like when you are giving and then let's say uh, planting a tree is $1.20 in this region and then if we took the percentage, then you can, you know, the tree cannot be planted. So um, we make sure that the, even the credit card charges are topped up to, to, to be limited to the, the project. So if you happen to be a business owner, and then if you want to uh, uh, be part of or support this movement, then step one would be like, you can take a look at our initiative at b1g1.com and then join us. Um, if you are not a business owner or you, know, um, you, you have a friend in business, then if you are happy to spread the word and just by mentioning, hey, did you know that you could actually make your company a giving business by being part of B1J1, then that would be fantastic as well. And of course, if you know great charity organizations that might want to join in, in the B1G1 initiative, then you can recommend them too, because for the charity organizations, it's totally free for them to join B1G1. And then of course we are 
um, uh, forwarding 100% of all what we raise to them. So as long as they can qualify our criteria, then they are welcome to apply to become part of the 1G1 movement. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Thank you for posting so, the link, someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paul posted the link, so it's great. And um, so it's very simple, and I, I love the way you do it. For as simple as a dollar a day, you can be a member, and then 100% of everything you contribute um, goes direct to one of the, I think you said 500 plus projects that, that you've got on, on the website at the moment. That's great. Um, now, also, Masami's, uh, you know, very involved in the speaking world for those of speakers here in Masami. We've got some real movers and shakers in all sorts of world that, uh, that are on this call as well. Do any of you have any final questions for Masami before we wrap this up? Let's just throw it out to the people there. And Masami, while people are doing that, I loved your model that you suggested as well with the two cycles, because it was very, very obvious to, to me that, you know, you just see so many people in life who go, you know, I'm going to wait till I retire to have fun. I, I remember that, uh, you know, in one of my past relationships, the lady's parents used to say, oh, we'll travel when we retire. And we thought, well, you know, that's, that's a bit late to travel. And then eventually they sold their business for a lot of money, had the money to travel and said, oh, but if we spend the money on travel, maybe we won't have enough money to retire. I don't know why people do this. I don't know why people wait. And your point is why wait until you've got something that you think is worth contributing? Just start contributing now. You know, you were technically contributing when this started 25 cents out of every meal you sold. You know, it's, it's not a lot of money, but it does a heck of a lot of good. So um, Masami's put down there that you can have a look at speakers for good. That is not Goog, I think. Oh, sorry. So speakers for <laughs> good dot global. <laughs> so the monkey good spotting, must have Mike. typed that one <laughs> for sure. So Masami, I just wanted to thank you so much for, for being on the call today and, and thank everybody else for, for being on the call as well. She's got it in right now. And... Uh, we wish you all the best. We look forward to doing more contrib contributions, some more partnerships with you and Paul. I've got Paul speaking with Landy and I on a webinar next week, which goes out to, you know, all of our extended lists and everything like that as well. So looking forward to that. Um, thanks, everybody, for being on the call today. And we'll see you all later. Masami, thank you so much. Thank you so much, everyone. <laughs> Everybody's giving you the virtual clapping. Thank you. That was amazing. Oh, love it.